0: Hi, I'm Cassie Hutton, a mom who sees you, a mom who wants to support you, and a mom who wants to encourage you to do what works best for you, no matter how unusual your parenting style might be. Visit CassieHutton.com to learn more. You can also order the book, Finding Freedom, A Personal Exodus from Deception to Identity on Amazon. And something new I've written this year is a made whole inner healing study. It's not available on any book platform. I offer classes to go along with the curriculum at times throughout the year, so reach out to me on Facebook or email me at CassieHutton27.com or email me at CassieHutton27 at gmail.com for more information. If you have felt stuck and can't figure out how to move forward from past hurts, traumas, lies, and old belief systems, then this class is for you, especially if you're feeling stuck in your parenting. Everyone needs to go through inner healing at some point in their journey. Leaders in the church are especially sure to need to go through inner healing at some point. You deserve freedom and victory so you can help the next person find theirs. All right, y'all. Welcome back. I'm Cassie. I'm here with Jennifer Dean. Once again, this is her third time to be back with us. And I was just sharing with her how her previous podcast that she did with me on lactation is my most listened to podcast thus far. So, we're going to have to come back and talk about lactation some more. She is a certif- board certified lactation consultant, and that is her career and what she does. And she um, has worked in all aspects of the birthing world, but she is also very knowledgeable when it comes to vaccines and helping moms navigate the world of vaccines, what a vaccine is. And she's here to help us answer all of those questions today, which is a big thing, especially since COVID has hit. But it became a big thing for me when my sister-in-law and my brother had an issue with their oldest one. And they had him vaccinated, and then he started having, like, bleeding out of his bottom from his rectum. And they were very concerned, even though they had already talked to you, hadn't they, Jennifer?
1: Yes. Yeah. They had already, she already had reservations at that point for sure.
0: She, yeah, exactly. She had already talked to Jennifer and reached out and they had already decided we're not giving our son this one, but we are going to choose some of these and they still had complications. So it was obviously a very, um, good idea for them to only choose certain ones. I just wonder how many more complications they would have had, had they not Delayed some or just totally said no to others. So, welcome to the podcast once again, Jennifer.
1: Hello, thank you for having me back. Uh, this has been fun. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Um, so, yeah, so I should probably start with um, a disclaimer. First of all, I'm um, a mom and a lactation consultant. Um, if you listen to my other podcasts, I kind of made a career change. So in my former life, I was I have a degree in kinesiology, but a certified biology teacher and a childbirth educator. So um, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a virologist or vaccine, vaccine expert in the medical field in any way. This, this is just my own, um, the, the information that I have gathered on my own and used as I navigated this um, decision with my own children who are now, they range from 27 to 18. So I was making these decisions, um, several years ago. Uh, but if we go back to my very first two children, basically I just did everything by the book. Uh, whatever was recommended is what we did. And I never questioned it and didn't see any need to. Um, I, you know, had all my vaccines and, you know, my sister did and everybody I knew did. And so that's how we did it. Um, When my third child came along, um, again, if you listen to that podcast of where I talk about my home births, I had a complete paradigm shift and a whole new world of decisions was opened up to me as I sought a better way, a different way to do things than how things had gone with my prior two kids. And part of that decision was really looking at my second child and the issues he started having immediately, like at about like two months. Just he went from healthy, no problems, to uh, chronic ear infections. I mean, immediately. Wow. And, and he was not in childcare. He was exclusively breastfed. Uh, he just, he didn't have any of the risk factors that would cause a child to have, you know, any kind of, um, allergies or ear infections like he did. So I just really started questioning things, um, had been attending La Leche League meetings. They have a little lending library at those meetings and you can, um, you know, a couple ladies there, as I was talking about the issues he'd had, they'd given me a couple books to read and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is wild." I mean, it, it, one of the books is called "Is This Your Child?" And it's like case study after case, study after case study of ch- children with allergies, like food allergies, um, different allergies, and how they're presenting, you know, to the doctor and you know, whether it be gut issues or ear infections or respiratory issues or skin issues. And then, you know, once they nailed it down and they eliminated these foods, you know, this, this child began to heal and get better. And it wasn't the antibiotics. It wasn't the steroids. It was, you know, going to the root cause. Yeah. And so um, it, it made sense to me. I mean, like I, I I knew in my gut I was already kind of questioning things, but it this actually made sense to me. Um, I'll rewind, though. The first seed that was really planted with me was a friend of mine who was married to a chiropractor, um, Brandy, and she called me one day out of the blue. We went to high school together, so we didn't talk a whole lot. She lives in Oklahoma. I live here in Texas. And she was like, hey, turn your TV on, C SPAN, you know, like right now. And I was like, what is what is C SPAN? Yeah. C SPAN. <laughs> like one well, of those, like, you know, PBS, like one of those stations everybody has. And she's like, they're having hearings in, you know, Washington about what's in vaccines and mercury or thimerosal vaccines. And she's like, turn it on. You know, so at that point I had a, it was my second child and he was pretty much a newborn. He was um, one or two or three months old. So what's interesting is that the timing of this corresponded with the timing of when he started having issues, Mm. but I wasn't putting it together. And and it was weird that she called me because she didn't know that he was having these issues. But anyway, this is occurring. So this is like 1999. And um, sure enough, you turn it on and these pharmaceutical executives are getting grilled. Asked about why, why is there mercury in vaccines? We didn't know there was mercury vaccines and why. So um, I sat and watched it and, you know, then I called her back later and I was like, okay, you know, so yeah, there's some concerns there, but I was like, but we can't all just quit vaccinating because then we're all going to, you know, all these diseases are going to run rampant. And, you know, I was like, so it's convenient if you stop vaccinating and you get to protect your child, but what about, you know, mine and, you know, all the others, we, somebody has, you know, this whole whole herd, this herd immunity theory. And so um, that kind of planted the seed, although it took a long time to grow. It was probably another two years before I finally, I, when I had, we had our third, and, um, I went into the pediatrician, um, firmly, you know, decided we're not doing any vaccines today at that two month appointment. I had d- declined the hepatitis B vaccine. I don't want to come back to that one. That's, that's a big one. And the first decision basically that parents are making in this realm, Yeah, kind of, well, really there's now they're being offered the flu shot and oh. um, DTAP and stuff like that in pregnancy. But, oh. but, uh, I mean, so, so she, I go into the pediatrician and I'm like, we're not doing any. And before I know it, she's talked to me into getting her, the polio vaccine and the DPT. Mm. Um, so I was like, shoot. Okay. Well, so then my strategy from then on was not to just not go back to the pediatrician.
0: Because <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. in
1: my mommy voice, I was not strong enough and confident enough to, to to take her on and have that conversation with her, yeah. And um, I am now, and so I don't fault parents that are, are moms who who are wavering in this and then kind of give in, because um, it is difficult.
0: Yeah, I talked to a mom reached out to me recently, and man, I don't even know if I was sharing anything about vaccines, but she was like, "Oh, she felt so bad." Um, first of all, I'll say I'm the same way. I stopped taking my kids. Ellie, who's three and a half years old or a little over three, has never seen a doctor—not one time—and Harper uh-huh. has not been to the doctor either. And she's four and a half months, almost five months now. And um, so, you know, the, the the whole saying of like if they're not sick, they don't need fixing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not slow in developing. There's no signs that I need to take them to the doctor. So we're not going. And um, that's just a whole nother stressful thing when I had my first one. And the stress of going to the doctor was extreme when mom should be home resting and taking care of their newborn. And it was like, that was a whole nother story. But, um, so yeah, she reached out to me and she, same thing. Um, basically someone called CPS on her for not, they found out that she did not vaccinate her kids. And so when, oh, no. yes, so she just like panicked. And took her kids into the pediatrician and was like, catch us up, catch us up so that they don't take my kids. And yeah, yeah, that's the fear-mongering world that we're living in. Yes. Yeah, it is. And that was here in Texas? I think that they were living in a different state at the time or they Mm -hmm. were living in West Texas. I'm trying to remember at the, uh, I don't think they were living in Texas.
1: I'm just curious because yeah, in Texas we have pretty decent laws that don't require you to get your kids vaccinated. So that's why I asked, but, um, nonetheless, when CPS is called CPS has to respond and that's the unfortunate mm, yeah. thing Exactly. there. Um, so, but yeah, so, I mean, so, so like I said, this, this decision is a process and, um, you know, there are a few good things that have come out of COVID, a lot of bad things, but a few good things. And I think one of the major things is that people's eyes have been opened to the fact that at best, if you're going to assume the best intentions here, there's a lot of people at the top that we have trusted that are completely asleep at the wheel. Yeah. They're just... They're letting things go. They're they're saying that oh, we've pr- studied all the safety. In reality, they haven't, and we saw right. that with 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 the vaccine that was rolled out. And then at worst, it is as corrupt as as I really honestly thought it was, but didn't know for sure. But COVID really, the whole you know whatever pandemic, it just it it confirmed yeah. all of that. So um, I think it sped up. That timeline for a lot of people, it it carried yes, them it very quickly to the conclusion that okay, things are not as they seem, and I really need to protect my family and make decisions for my family, and everybody else can worry about themselves. Yeah, and um, so that is one very good thing that's come out of it, I think. But going back to the first decision, I think parents are really faced with is um, one of them is hepatitis B um, vaccine there's also the vitamin K shot and the vitamin K shot, you know, vitamin K is given it's, um, infants are born with low levels of vitamin K. Um, they're born with enough vitamin K to, 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 be fine. But if there's some sort of damage, you know, if, if there was a traumatic birth and maybe the baby was delivered by forceps or vacuum, um, they need the ability to clot, you know, because there's some, maybe some trauma to the head or something, and so vitamin k helps you know with the clotting factors so in rare instances vitamin more vitamin k than what they're born with is necessary so you know the problem with the vitamin k is it has a black box warning yeah. you know it has it has some risks so that we just give it to all babies just really doesn't make sense. You know, my pediatrician made a case for it and she was like, basically, yes, but, um, you can have internal injuries or internal things going on. And you really want that baby to have vitamin K. What she, what we did was she compromised though. I said, well, you know, typically my midwife offers oral vitamin K Mm -hmm. and within about 12 hours, they're conjugating or making the necessary enzymes. And factors that they would need to have a sufficient clotting factors. And colostrum, you know, delivers um some of what the baby needs um to help manufacture vitamin K as well. So those things, um she so I was like, how about oral vitamin K? And it's just they just a little squeeze it, you know, in their mouth and that was that. And she was like, yeah, I'm okay with that, which surprised me. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> We're good. So that's what I did. Um, but completely just declined hepatitis B. I think hepatitis B is the first great place for parents who have questions to jump off into and look at because hepatitis B is a bloodborne um, disease or virus. It causes liver damage. Um, it can be a, a serious, mostly irreversible disease. However, it's quite rare and it's not something that typically is going to sneak up on you. Because it is bloodborne, it's like um, HIV. Okay. Um, You are only going to get hepatitis B or HIV if you are having unprotected sex, typically with multiple partners, um, sharing dirty needles, um, you know, blood to blood, I mean, wound to -to blood type contact. And that is typically not occurring. The other instances where it can occur is vertical transmission or mother to infant. Um, Maybe... If you have a hepatitis B carrier in your home, you don't want to share razors with them, you know, but sharing eating utensils, no, not a problem, you know. So there's things like that, but most people that are hepatitis B positive are typically aware, Um, not all, but women who are seeing an obstetrician or a midwife, anytime they're getting some prenatal lab work done, they're checking for hepatitis B. So the mother that's delivering in the hospital, she knows if yeah. she is hepatitis B positive. That's not a surprise. They're also yeah. t- testing when she arrives at the hospital, so that they know how to respond. Um, so there's there's no reason that that newborn should be getting a hepatitis B vaccine if mom is negative and none of the family members, nobody that's going to be in contact with this baby, has hepatitis B. That it's really yeah something definitely that could be delayed the problem yeah. with it too is that one shot is not good enough you have to do it you have to do it at newborn you have to do it at two months and then four months i believe and then again before they start school by the time they're actually sexually active it's worn off yeah it it it's so it's just it the the rationale just doesn't really compute yeah
0: so that's something that
1: parents really look into
0: yeah, I remember my brother saying that he was like, "Hepatitis B is a sexually transmitted disease." <laughs> uh, why in the world do I need to give my infant this?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so it's so absurd. You're like, no, it's like you're like, there's got to be something more to it, and
0: you're like, no, yeah. there's
1: there's really not. You yeah, know, which
0: is just um, it really is crazy, and you know, it it is something that I was just like you with my first two. I just was like, let's just go with it and, you know, whatever you recommend is what I'm going to do. Um, you know, my pediatrician was a nurse practitioner. She had nursed all four, or five or six of her babies and it was just, you know, I trusted her and I do remember when I went in after they had already received certain vaccines and then I denied some vaccines and told her kind of what was going on. With my niece and my, with my nephew, she was like, "Well, this is just a booster. You know, This is just a booster. It's, he's already had the other shot, so he's going to handle it fine is basically what she was getting at. But it was like, you know, she didn't like argue with me. That was, that was her only comeback. But it's just, you know, I don't even know what's in half of these vaccines. I remember when I found out um, two things. Number one, the heavy metal. Issue and then also the fact that all vaccines use some sort of aborted fetus cells to they have to use human cells in order to really know if the vaccine is going to work. Well, the only way that they can use these cells is through aborted babies. And as a Christian or you know, anyone with any sort of moral compass, um, I mean how can you say that it it's okay? I just, to me, it's not.
1: Yes. So on that issue really quick. And so a lot of people will have different objections to, you know, vaccines and some may have kind of an objection in all categories. Um, so ethical would be one, and that would be the aborted, you know, fetal cells. Um, another would be Um, the risks, of course, you know, another another might be the ingredients, another might be uh, the effectiveness, like, like, uh, you know, we've always just assumed that, that these vaccines that are recommended to us are effective. Yeah. So we kind of check that box, like, okay, we're okay with that. We're not okay with the risks, though. But again, going back to what we've seen with COVID, it's like, but were they? Because when you look at the history of a lot of illnesses, of diseases, um, polio, measles, um, a lot of those uh, diphtheria, pertussis, were already naturally on the decline when the vaccine was introduced. Mm. And this is documented CDC data. Um, So, you know, this, this disease had been rolling around for a while and, you know, it will peak, it will kind of ebb and flow just like Mm. COVID will, just like the flu will, just like, you know, um, anything that kind of moves in waves. And it was on the downswing. And because what had happened in the United States, you know, around that time, the 30s, the 40s was um, plumbing, indoor plumbing, clean water, you know, um, antibiotics were introduced. So all of this occurred. We had this huge revolution of ways to to improve the health of the people. And at the same time, vaccines were introduced. And so what gets the credit? Well, who's taking credit is, you know, yeah. the vaccine industry. When, again, we're, we're seeing this play out live with COVID. Well, well, what gets the credit for COVID going away? Well, really just herd immunity because mm. the vaccine has not helped us. It's really only made things worse. Um, as far as the COVID vaccine goes. Um, so going back to the ethical issues, um, yes. Okay, so here's a list of some of the vaccines. Not all contain um, aborted fetal tissue, but several do. Um, the hepatitis A and hepatitis B do. Um, it's called, or twin This is the combination of the hepatitis A and hepatitis B vaccine. Um, and it is human diploid cells. Okay, um, another is MMR and um, it contains something called WI38 human diploid lung fibroblasts. Um, mm-hmm. Another is the Varivax or Varicella, so the chickenpox vaccine, MRC5, including DNA protein um, and human diploid cell cultures, WI38, human, human embryonic lung cultures the shingles vaccine as well. So you can look those up. It's sad because um, I'm trying to think a couple of the COVID vaccines do not, they don't contain um, fetal cells, but they were tested in that in the clinical trial process or in the testing process, the fetal tissue was used. And some of them are named. Now I cannot, remember the name like one is called heck but they're like human embryonic kidney you know and from like 38 let's let's just give it a number 38 it's like this is the kidney of a human embryo number 38 like this baby was number 38 in the grouping of kidneys that were used to harvest these cells from
0: and just on a whole nother level it's like how old gosh, how how many weeks gestationally was that baby to actually have a developed kidney, you know? It was almost like whenever I was reading something, and you can clarify for me, like when these fetal cells are being used, it was almost as if they had taken one from like 1985 and Mm -hmm. like cloned it or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you want to find some good interesting information um Stanley Plotkin who's considered the grandfather of vaccine or vaccinology uh was interviewed or he had to testify some sort of deposition and he is just grilled about vaccines and the use of human cells oh it was a mother the mother was basically it was a custody case she didn't want to get her kids vaccinated her uh, attorney managed to get Stanley plot can you know to in this deposition and it's all recorded and he's like so nonchalant about it and so like just it's disgusting it's really it's it's really an evil practice and and you have to know this because the vaccine industry has been approached and, and told like look people are declining the vaccine because of these ethical concerns, can you make vaccines without using human embryos? And they can, and they have said that they can, but they don't, they choose not to. So, you know, they don't even offer us uh, yeah. an alternative for parents who have these objections. So that's one issue. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, as far yeah. as I mean, another one, like ingredients, um, right. just to clarify, because there's a lot of still misinformation about this. Um, their mercury for the most part has been removed from all vaccines with the exception of the, um, flu, the, um, the flu vaccine that is multi it delivered in multi-use vials. So if you go to get your flu vaccine and the doctor stands in the room and they have the vial and they insert the needle and they draw it up and then that's what's delivered to you, that particular vaccine does contain mercury because the mercury is in there to serve as a sterilizing agent because you know needles are entering and exiting and entering and exiting so that there's no contamination issue it it preserves the the solution that's in there if you're getting an individual it's already you know labeled and it's for single use flu vaccine that one will not contain mercury okay so i have had Parents tell me that their pediatrician says that, oh, their vaccines are all preservative free. Well, there's a lot of preservatives more than just vaccines, so that's not necessarily true. That's not true at all, actually. But as far as mercury goes, it may be true unless they're getting the multi-use, you know. And so in a lot of the poor communities, if you're going into a public health clinic and you're getting the free flu vaccine vaccine, be suspicious mm. because that may be the multi-use one and you could get the concentration it's like 50 micrograms or something yeah. you could you could get 40 micrograms there's no way to distribute that you know evenly throughout the solution so anyway all the grandmas and grandpas out there know that mercury yeah. is not good um but even though they, they were using chrome, and all sorts of fun stuff <laughs> put on our bodies yeah. and in us now we know it's not a good idea
0: yeah, I've, I've mm. been looking into uh, trying to do a heavy metal detox for our whole family because um, I started following someone on Instagram and she shows testimonies of like how people's eye color change with the product that she sells in particular. Um, a friend of mine just ordered one. I don't remember the brand, but there's lots of heavy metal detoxes out there. One of them mm. comes with a heavy metal detox and a parasite detox um, and then something else. But I am looking to do that just because uh, my oldest one has seizures and he's my one that was formula fed and okay. had more vaccines than any of the others. And then on this topic of allergies and sinuses,
1: there's so many things that could be responsible for allergies, but there are definite the, the link in terms of to the vaccines. So food allergies can definitely be linked to vaccines um there are trace amounts of things like dairy and yeast some say uh yeah nuts peanut peanut oil perhaps um what other products are in there shellfish um i'll probably think of some more here in a little bit but they are there are trace amounts in the vaccine and in the production of the vaccine so one in particular your sister-in-law who you spoke about, it took a little bit of detective work and it surprised me even because it's like she had eliminated, like, cause she was like, okay, he's having these bloody stools and he gets sick. I mean, like throws up and, um, you know, what could it be? And I was like, okay, well definitely like rotavirus. Don't do the rotavirus. Don't do the, you know, I mean, these were the ones that were the s- suspicious ones. Well, he went back and he had maybe a booster for, DTAP and, and maybe something else. And I was like, huh, okay, well, I don't, I'm not sure. So let me go look at the list of ingredients. And sure enough in the DTAP vaccine or Tdap that's diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. So diphtheria, diphtheria is gone. Like like there's no reason diphtheria should even be part of the series. It's um, I believe a bacterial infection. It causes this film in your throat and can be, you know, an issue for all of these illnesses are basically a rare subset, you know, of people. Um, tetanus, well, babies typically aren't playing with rusty nails, encountering tetanus, rusty nails. <laughs> Your newborn is probably not. I mean, maybe back in the pioneer days. yes. Yeah. Now, no, there's no reason we're giving tetanus shots to, to infants. Pertussis, whooping cough, eh, that, that can be an issue. Um, but I'll just have to come back to that. That's a whole other animal. But um, where were we going? Oh, with the food allergy. Yeah. There is case, casein. That's part of the milk protein in that particular vaccine. So here's the problem. Let's think about it. You ha- you are delivering all these this, this co- cocktail of ingredients into the, you're bypassing number one, the way the body is supposed to interact with Viruses and bacteria and pathogens. Your your body is supposed to interface with it through the respiratory tract first, Mm -hmm. right, or the skin. So you should ingest it, or you breathe it in, or it touches the skin. When you get the vaccine, it's it's directly bypassing all those protective mechanisms that should stop it, and maybe you don't ever experience another thing. You just get a little stuffy nose, right? Yeah. Everybody's had that experience. There's a cold going around and you've been you know, in the car for eight hours with somebody and they were sick, but you got just the stuffy nose. Well, that means because as your body interacted with that virus, it stopped it at the respiratory tract. It didn't let it get into your digestive tract, your bloodstream, into your, um, your central nervous system, anything like that. But we're going, we're bypassing all of that. We're going straight into the body. And that's a problem in and of itself problem is too is we're saying to the immune system, "Hey, look at me." And that's what aluminum is. Aluminum is an adjuvant. Okay. That's in several vaccines, yeah. in particular the hepatitis B vaccine in large volumes, mm. volumes that in research have shown to be mm. damaging to um neurological systems, wow. the ner- the nervous system. So so the aluminum is an adjuvant, it's meant to be an irritant. And so it says it causes inflammation that area. Otherwise, it could just be injured the body, and the and the immune system never even picks up on it. So it says, "Oh, who are you? You don't belong here." Oh, who you brought some friends? They definitely don't belong here. Well, that list of friends that he brought that don't belong there. Among them is casein or dairy. So you have flagged, a, you know, a t- typically very innocuous thing that we're all ingesting as the enemy. Mm. And it says, okay, now dairy is the enemy. And so then you have a baby who starts to have, you know, maybe it begins with just a runny nose and then it's ear infections and then it's respiratory infections. And now their bottom is raw and sore all the time. And now maybe they're throwing up because typically allergies will escalate mm-hmm. with each exposure. Um, parents of children with nut allergies can tell you this. And so um, that that's how, it begins because this mother's been drinking milk in pregnancy and, you know, she's, she's obviously, um, breastfeeding or, you know, I mean, so the, the dairy is there, but now all of a sudden, why is the body reacting to it? Yeah. So that's one mechanism of how those allergies can develop. Mm. Um, as far as like, um, seasonal allergies and environmental allergies. Yes. There's Dr. Paul Thomas, Um, is a pediatrician in um, uh, Oregon or Washington state. He has done a, he has a great book called the vaccine friendly plan, but he details a lot of his own observations and his own practice among his vaccinated and unvaccinated Mm. and then partially vaccinated uh, kids. And um, he definitely, I mean, has a really great, you know, there's huge differences in. Let me just read some of them. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Okay, here's one of his. He said he assessed, this was his own little study or cohort he he conducted, assessed his three hundred, sorry, three thousand three hundred and forty-five pediatric patients regarding vaccination status, timing, and autism diagnosis rates. The findings are as follows. Unvaccinated one in seven hundred and fifteen. With following his VAX friendly plan, one in 440. Um, Those that follow the CDC vaccine schedule, one in 45. One in 45 had autism that followed the the recommended vaccine schedule versus in the unvaccinated group, one in 715. That's a pretty good study. Why is nobody doing it? Wow. So that's another criticism you'll hear is okay, fine. Where is the yeah. vaccinated versus unvaccinated study? And the, the response you get is, oh, well, that would be unethical. Yeah. That would be unethical to withhold this group and not give them vaccines and then risk them to that, you know, exposure of those illnesses. And it's like, well, no, that's not unethical. You have multitudes of parents who've made that decision. So you have that cohort, you have that group out there that you can study and look yeah. at their, cho- they choose not to, because they know what they'll find. They know that they'll find children who, who don't, who have much lower yeah. rates of ADHD and allergies, whether it be food allergies or season- seasonal allergies, um, dermatitis, mm-hmm. you know, basically eczema, um, respiratory illnesses, um, autoimmune issues. That's a huge mm-hmm. one. So
0: Gosh, gotcha, especially in girls, huh?
1: Yes, yes. For for whatever reason, it shows up as autoimmune issues. That's our that's our weak point, I think, for women for for girls. So yeah. that's mm. just a few of the things. Um, what I tell parents is, um, okay, so it's such a big decision um, that I think the best way to tackle these decisions, but the best way that I found was kind of taking everything out of the bucket and then inspecting it one by one on the table. So, yes, the vaccine schedule has not even quadrupled. I mean, it, it has exploded since 1983. Um, the vaccine manufacturers, well, 1986, they were granted immunity from liability. So, if your child has a vaccine reaction, Um, They can seek compensation for the injury, but they probably won't get it because the manufacturers are heavily protected because uh, they were suffering so many lawsuits and such huge financial loss back in the 80s that they went to uh, Congress and said, we need protection or we're just going to quit making vaccines. This is not profitable for us. And so they came up with this 1986 Childhood Vaccine Injury Act and we have a special court now that you have to jump through all these hoops and, you know, and and it's long and it's drawn out and it will probably cost you your marriage, your, any savings that you have. And at the end, you probably Mm. won't win. That's what, that's what we're up against. And so that was a huge part of my decision wow. too. I was like, no, no, no. Wow. I mean, if you're not responsible, I mean, if, if I'm, you know, I'm a one for the team, but you're not going to yeah. make sure I'm, my family's taken care of and my child's medical expenses, then I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm, This is, or I'm, I'm, I'm at least the one who's going to be making this decision. You're not going to make it for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to touch on that. The difference between, you know, what, my mom's generation of vaccines, my grandparents generation to my generation to now my kids, like the difference between how many vaccines we've just added to and added to, um, over the years, but also to touch on the liability thing. I have never heard that. First of Mm. all, no one mentions that part of it. Um, but two, I just think of all these testimonies that of people, you know, they're, they come up paralyzed after Getting some sort of vaccine. I mean, I've I've heard that testimony so many times. Um, Candace Owens, yes. have you watched her "A Shot in the Dark"? No, I haven't
1: seen the, the uh, documentary. Mm-mm.
0: Okay, well, not the documentary. I'm sorry. It's a pop, yeah. It's a Rumble. Yes, thank you. It's on Rumble. It's not in the dark. Isn't that an
1: old? Isn't that an old documentary though, or is this a new, is This is what
0: she's had hers. I don't know when she started it. I just only watched, I really was going on there to to hear what she had to say about the vitamin K because I was really trying to navigate that and why we give these babies vitamin K when God clearly created a reason why we don't need vitamin K for the first few days. And then this is what was so interesting to me when I had my first couple of babies and found out that God said, circumcise them on the eighth day. Well, that the eighth day is when vitamin K kicks into our bodies Mm -hmm. and it's just like, that's amazing that God, God designed that so perfectly. But she, when she talks about, um, her, uh, story, basically she went and got the vaccine for, uh, Gardasil. Yeah. Gardasil. So it's supposedly protecting girls from getting ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, hor- it's hormonal thing, I guess. Well, she got her first shot, you know, the OB was like, you need it. She trusted that Mm. as soon as she took the shot, she passed out. She came to woke up. They told her she needed a booster shot later on. Same exact thing. She took the shot immediately passed out. And that's when her eyes began to be opened to this whole vaccine world. And she shares all of that um, in that podcast or video series. Yes. I love
1: listening to her and I have enjoyed seeing her. Um, have this revelation. And now she's, of course, a parent. I think she's expecting her second, maybe. So she, she walked the walk. Maybe. Yeah, she's walking the walk for sure. And yeah, she's she's a good one to listen to. And who did she even, she had Robert Malone, who was, you know, became a a great voice for the concerns on the vaccine, who helped develop, you know, mRNA technology on her podcast and she kind of grilled him because he was really still in support of the whole kind of the vaccination program in general. I mean, even though he was a critic of the COVID vaccine and which is, which is interesting because you're going to notice people about 60 and over, they're a hard sell on telling them that vaccines are, we're giving way too many too soon. You might get them on that point. But the idea that vaccines are harmful, it's so ingrained because they lived through that period of time where, yeah, they did see people with polio, you know, Um, that's a whole different subject. And there's, you know, how, you know, question as to whether, how much of a part the vaccine played in bringing those rates down. But, but you can move those Mm. people more towards you when you show them the vaccine schedule when, when they see with their own eyes, you know, um, Mm, the vaccine schedule, you know, Nana, you know, when you were, you know, 10 years old, here is the vaccine schedule versus what it is now. They have no idea. They have no idea. There's like,
0: what is there like over 70 now?
1: So for instance, um, in 1983, the vaccine schedule, so this is before they were granted immunity and then immediately it just exploded. Okay. Nineteen eighty three at two months the DTP was given. Oh wow. The oral polio and then so so you got two shots of that's basically four vaccines. That's another thing parents don't understand. They're like, Oh, my baby's not getting all those shots because they get two needles, you know, one in each leg now, because they're combining so many all at once. Um, I'm like, No, no, no. There's like four in one and four in the other now. I mean, they're they're just they're just just fit more into one syringe basically, but no. So in 1983, you got the DTP, which was one shot, which was a live basically attenuated vaccine. And it did cause a lot of issues. And that was the one that brought the house down on the pharmaceutical companies. That's the one that they went to Congress over. Um, And then oral polio, oral polio. uh, If you're old enough to remember the problem with the oral polio was you shed virus. So They would tell you, my first got oral polio, not the um, Mm. inactivated polio or IPV, which is what's given now. Um, And so when you would be changed, they'd say, don't let grandma or grandpa or anybody getting chemotherapy or immunocompromised change your baby's diaper for the next like two weeks, you know, because this polio can be shed. And so when what we did with oral polio, when we got done with it and we moved on to the next generation, the inactivated polio. We sent it to Africa, trying to help them. And all we did was cause exploding rates of polio um, over there because they were shedding the virus and transmitting it. Wow. Um, Bill Gates had a little something to do with that, if you want to look at the history on that. Okay, yeah. so that's 1993. So at two months, four months, and six months, you got that set of vaccines, Those those four vaccines. At 15 months, you got MMR. And then at 18 months, you got DTP again and oral polio at 18 months, and then at 48 months, DTP and OP and oral polio. So you got a booster right before you started school. So um, all in all, that's like 10 basically shots, you know, with a combination. Then you get chicken pox. Of course, everybody just got chicken pox.
0: I know. That's the one that killed me. Whenever my kids had their vaccines and I learned that they were getting the chicken pox vaccine, I was like, what? I mean chicken box didn't cause me any harm. I stayed home from school for a little bit, had a few bumps that we had to take care of, but like, seriously, we're getting a vaccine for it.
1: That, that became, and um, that became more of a convenience vaccine that was sold as, you know, mamas were having to take off work for two weeks because one kid would get it and you'd be like, okay, well, you might as well, I'll get it. And so then Three or four days later, the next one and then the next one. And so, yeah, by the time it was all said and done, you'd been out of work for 10 to 14 days. And guess what happened to mom, though, when her kids were all getting the chicken pox? She was getting her booster. So she was getting re-exposed. And if grandma came around or aunt came around, she was getting a booster and getting re-exposed. So that's why we now need the shingles vaccine because, because we created this gap where mm. there was no re-exposure, um, and then, then that virus, mm. it lays latent for so long, and without that booster of repeated chickenpox exposure, then shingles comes up later in life when your immunity is dead, you know, shingles comes along, wow. so we created that monster, wow. um, but if you look at the 2015 schedule, okay, and mm. this is obviously, there's probably more now, but, um, you start in pregnancy. Okay. So in pregnancy, they're getting, uh, they're recommended to get a flu shot and they're recommended to get the mm. DTAP vaccine to supposedly cocoon or protect the newborn before they're able to get that first two month series of DTAP. It's questionable whether that works that way or not, but, um, they also get hepatitis B. Again.
0: So well, then course, at two months,
1: yeah. hepatitis B again, they get rotavirus at two months. They get DTaP at two months. They get Hib or Haemophilus at two months. They get um, Prevnar, which is a pneumonia strain, at two months. They get inactivated polio at two months. So by two months old, this baby has had almost as no more vaccines than the person in 1983 had in there before they entered the kindergarten. At two months, wow. and it doesn't matter whether your two-month-old weighs wow. ten pounds, oh my god, or weighs, you know, seventeen pounds. Yeah. It doesn't matter; they get the same amount. And there's a lot Gosh. of aluminum in each one of those, Gosh. which does undoubtedly cause no harm. Oh. So there's those concerns as well. Um, mm. um, let's see if there's anything else. But yeah, the the best thing that you can do is just examine each each illness on its own merit. What is what it, what what is the incidence of this illness? Um, you know, if I were to stop vaccinating, if everybody, I mean, I think it's fair. I think it's a fair question to ask if everybody quit vaccinating. You know, because there's the there's the criticism of the unvax the va- anti-vaxxers standing on the shoulders or the immunity of the vaccinated. So fine. I was like, okay, fine. That's fair. So am I, am I okay with encountering this illness if nobody had a vaccine for it? And I was like, yeah, I am. Um, what do I need to do to protect my children from it? I need to, I need to feed them nourishing foods. I need to, it it begins in the womb, you know, with the gut bacteria and microbiome you're setting up. Yeah. trying your best to have a vaginal birth. As your baby travels through the birth canal, they swallow the fluids as they come through the birth canal and they're inoculating or, or they're, they're beginning the growth of good healthy bacteria. And it's a rich abundant forest of good, healthy, beneficial bacteria. The baby that's born by C-section has a very narrow scope of bacteria that they're colonizing their digestive tract with. So that's why we we believe that they are more prone to eczema and allergies and asthma, um, that baby that's born by C-section. Then we're feeding that beneficial bacteria yeah. with colostrum and breast milk. Yes. And then, you know, we come behind it by introducing foods appropriately mm-hmm. and continued breastfeeding. All of these things that really lay the foundation, a firm foundation, a, a house built on rock, Right. So that whatever storm, whatever illness, whatever virus comes along, they're protected.
0: Anyone listening to the podcast right now, we are going to actually get into that after this. So I'm really glad that you're touching on the gut health and making sure sure that we are restoring that. I think for the most part, we are at even my generation. Like I'm feel mm-hmm. like I'm trying to restore my gut health, and and compared to my little ones, you know, who I can just that I'm starting from the beginning and like trying to give them all of the good, healthy fermented foods that I can possibly give them staying away from all of this junk um, that's destroying us, staying away from any antibiotics that's destroying us. I love that. And I'm fascinated by it. And I'm still learning a lot myself and
1: have um, had some recent gut issues. So I've had to go back to the, go back to my, you know, things I've known and then build on that. And um, it's, it's really intriguing, and there's a lot of good information coming out about it. Um, there, I just read an article this past week that COVID, they believe COVID actually kind of starts in the gut, and that um, damage the gut health. And so, um, I believe it, but I think the the vaccine does three times and four times the amount of damage than than the actual virus does.
0: And we are going to come back and talk about. We're going to have a whole Podcast on COVID. So, we are going to touch on the whole COVID vaccine and everything that um, Jennifer yeah. dug into during that whole thing. Um, and so, come back and visit us for that. We're definitely going to go there. Um, so, what else do you have for us before we wrap this one up? And what is just some good basic information that moms can take home with them to make educated decisions? I think you really kind of touched on that like you used, you know, the hep b vaccine as like here's our go-to that let's start with this one and then also cuz you made a good point in saying just think of the virus or this thing that you could get in and of itself are you willing to deal with the sickness itself compared to getting the vaccine and if you're okay with getting the virus or the the disease or you know whatever it it is mm and say no to the vaccine compared to, because I think it's overwhelming for like me as a me who I'm like, I do not care to dig into all of the, all of the case studies, all of the information, all of the numbers. Um, it would be very overwhelming for me. You know, I'm thankful for people like you who are willing to go into that.
1: Yes, that is a good question. And I think it's, it it is important. I'm obviously, in lactation, in my role as a childbirth educator, it was very important to me that parents were not making fear-based decisions, and because you can use fear to manipulate somebody to not get an epidural, right? You can you can use fear to manipulate people to not get the vaccine, but that's yeah. not a place of being like empowered and and having confidence in your decision, and it will mm-hmm. it, it's and it's weak and it will crumble. And so there's a lot of moms that, that fear the vaccines, but then they have no, yeah. you know, they encounter the first whatever, and they're like, get, get, get my kids vaccinated. <laughs> so you need to really feel confident about this. And so um, you do have to do a little bit of groundwork, but there is a lot of great resources that break it down and make it very easy yeah. for you. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So um, some of the resources that I found and continue to go back to when I have questions or people ask me questions, one is um, physicians for informed consent. Um, I can't tell you the website right now, but you can just put that in the search bar physicians for informed consent, and they have great information broken down on easy, just downloadable handouts or documents. For instance, one of the things I printed for today was one on hepatitis B, just the illness. What do you need to know about the illness? And another was on the vaccine. And so um, it, it gives you statistics. It gives you, it cites their resources. Um, mm. That's very important. You know, look at the resources. Don't just take their word for it. Um, another is um, NVIC or national national vaccine information center. They also do a really good job and they they'll summarize. They'll have a great piece on whatever it is. Let's say it's measles and which is they're going to that's the next scaremongering thing that's out there right now is measles. FYI, the the fatality rate for measles is like one in 10,000. Okay, so and and that one in 10,000, that one, just like we saw with COVID, was probably a Mm -hmm. child that was already immunocompromised. Um, So it it just doesn't take out people that are Mm -hmm. healthy. So anyway, there's something to think about, but you can go and look at the, me, you know, look at measles and it's going to tell you, what do you need to know? What are the yeah. statistics? How many end up hospitalized? How many end up, um, how many, what's the fatality yeah. rate of measles? What are the therapies for measles? I mean, our measles data is from 1960. We don't even know how we would respond with a measles outbreak now. Surely better. Right. And it's going to tell you the measles. Yeah. Uh, stu- the vaccine information, so you can compare wow. and say, okay, you know, risk benefit. What am I what am I okay with? Yeah. Another one is mm-hmm. um Children's Health Defense, which is Robert F. Kennedy um Jr.'s website. Okay, and he is a great advocate, and he he puts yeah. together great information. Um, you just search and you'll find a lot of good information. Yep. And then he okay. always cites his, as an attorney, he's always giving, referencing his sources. Um, book, you know, like I said, the vaccine friendly plan, if you're like, okay, I'm not ready to go completely no vax, but you want kind of a modified schedule to look at Dr. Paul Thomas has the vaccine friendly yeah. plan and it's a great book too. Um, let's see, T- T- Texas for vaccine choice. Um, is a great organization and uh, parents need to know if you live in Texas and most states not all but most you can get an exemption for your child to go to school it's something that has to be renewed every two years the school nurse is going to ask you for it I have never had any problems with it everybody has been always very kind never just just hey Jennifer it's you know it's time for your you know I need your Exemption form again. Oh, sorry. Okay, I'll get it. And you know, you write to the state, they're going to send you a form. You're going to check off the ones you're declining, take, you know, and get it notarized. And then you take it to the school. Done. Okay. It's not a big deal. Um, most colleges do it as well. Um, even private colleges, Baylor University does. Okay. So even if they accept, they don't have to. They say if they accept any kind of state funding, they have to accept an exemption. And most, even private schools do in some form or fashion. Preschools, um, childcare centers, they almost all do. There's very few that don't take some state funding. Um, read the vaccine insert, mm-hmm. like actual, and I'm not talking about yeah. the little sheet they give you when that you, you know, go in for that. That yeah. is- baloney. <laughs> there's nothing helpful in there. You need you need the what comes out of the box that the vaccine is delivered in. You need to read that right. or go to the website of the manufacturer and read it. Your, your eyes are really going to be open. Um, those are the main ones. Uh, but I, you know, I'm again, I'm always available for contact if anybody has any questions, and I'll just pass along what I have learned. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor, but I have. I have done a fair amount of research and that the my concluding thought I think on any of this is is trust your gut, trust your instinct and really that's really not our instinct that's the holy spirit. You know, he's he's there to tap on our shoulder and say, "Hey mama, yes, pay attention. Your kid your kid should not be this sick. Something something's
0: happened." And um get to the root of it. Stop doing all the antibiotics. Stop keep. Stop taking them back to the pediatrician. Find a holistic pediatrician. Find someone who's going to help you get to the root of the of the problem. Your body is telling you something, so it's not okay. Like in our modern Western world, we're just slapping a band aid on it by taking antibiotics and by taking the claritins and by taking the ibuprofens and the tylenols. It's not, you know, it's going to give you temporary relief, but it's going to come back. And, oh, I just, I see some people suffering. <laughs> like, you don't have to suffer. You
1: don't. And, and, and ask any mom who has multiple children and she's vaccinated some and then not the others. It, it's a nine it's a day difference. My, my two youngest who should have been the sickest because they had two siblings bringing home everything and multiple cousins at that point. And so they should have been sick all the time. They were barely sick. They were almost never sick. And I don't think they ever went to the doctor in their first year. They never had ear infections. It was a complete difference. So you could just get with some wise mamas and, um, and, and, you know, and if you're an advocate like me, just be gentle with those people in your life. Who are not where you I know, yeah. They, it's hard. You just have to just be available to provide the information when they come seeking it because eventually they usually do. Um, but but yeah. I wanted to be really heavy handed at first <laughs> because you discover all this stuff and you think everybody needs to know and oh my gosh, their lives will be so different. Their, yep. their kid doesn't need to have multiple rounds of ear tubes or their adenoids taken out or you know, but but you can't, you just kind of have to sit back and sit on your hands a little bit and, and hope that, you know, that, that, that they will listen to that voice in them. They will listen to that instinct that's saying, Hey, there's something better here. You know, God has something better for your health and to, to, to treat your body. If you take care of the body God gave you, your body will take care of you. It's really pretty simple like that.
0: So Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about all of this with us. It is a mouthful. It is a lot to take in. So if you're a mom out there that is just overwhelmed by all of this, you can be like me and just be like, I'm out completely. <laughs> I don't have to read any of this stuff. I don't have to ask any questions because I'm just done. I cut the cord and I ripped it out and never looked back. But if you're you know, someone who's like, no, I want to make informed decisions and I want to know you know, all the things, remember what Jennifer said, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to deal is, is this sickness going to be that bad? Um, you know, cause in reality, it's going to help you build your immunity anyways. Um, and then I know Jennifer is willing to be available as well to help any mom out there who just has any questions. And so I will definitely tag her in the show notes. I will let you, I will give you her information for, um, Her Instagram, her Facebook, and then we will also put in the show notes, the websites that she mentioned today and all of the resources that she mentioned today so that they're easy to click on and easy for you to find. And, you know, just don't be so trusting. (laughs) It's
1: hard. We're raised to be good Southern women and to trust. And, but we, we, mamas, I mean, God made us warriors for a reason. And sometimes
0: we got to put on that hat and, and do that. Amen to that. Well, thank you again, and we will see you back here, hopefully, probably next week. It might be two weeks from now for the COVID vaccine, an entire episode dedicated to COVID. (laughs) As if we're not tired of hearing about it. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Barefoot Parenting. If what you're doing works for you, is healthy for your family, and is growing you in the ways you need to grow, then it's time to step out of the feeling of guilt and shame and wear your Barefoot Mama badge proudly. Remember, barefoot parents are doing things differently, so be encouraged today if you're feeling the pushback in your parenting style. You're doing something right.